Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is... Are these drunk? <laughs> Y'all are drunk as fuck. <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. I'm Mariana. And I'm Dwayne. Whoa, twist! We have a guest! Yes. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. Plus, one very special guest who is joining our party this episode. Yeah. This month, we've been talking about Real Life by Brandon Taylor. It's the story of Wallace, a gay black graduate student in biochemistry in a predominantly white Midwestern town. Though the book only spans a few days, Wallace's rich inner life and astute observations led us into his world, a world where casual racism follows him from his neighborhood corner store to the lab where he works to a friend sitting at the dinner table next to him, a world where being good at something and working hard at it doesn't mean you'll be recognized for it. On the contrary, Wallace muses that he's hated for his diligent work. A world where he's eternally lonely, never quite feeling accepted, and never quite feeling comfortable enough, safe enough to let anyone in. A world where he's perpetually in search of something real. It's weird to hear you do the intro, Brandy. I know. (laughs) I know. Thanks for starting us off. For this special episode, we've asked our guest, Dwayne, who you will hear more about very soon, what his favorite drink is, and thank goodness he said an Aperol Spritz. So, thanks, Dwayne. Today's Today's cocktail pairing is an Aperol Spritz. We know her, we love her, but here to give us a little more history on this classic Italian beverage is our classy Italian bartender, Riccardo. Riccardo. Hi guys, welcome to the bar. Hi. How are you? Great. So, thank you, Dwayne. Finally, we're doing something that I really love. It's not a tequila-based cocktail, Mariana. But (laughs) you will be drinking with a straw, Brandy. So you're gonna be happy. Yes. Yes, I am. And we are gonna make the Apro Spritz. There are just few things that I would like to tell you just to understand a little bit more about the history about this cocktail and why you can find so many different recipes and so many different variations. So the the recipe that I'm going to give you is the 3-2-1 recipe. Three parts Prosecco, so three ounces, two parts Aperol, and one part, so one ounce, of soda water. You pour the ingredients in this exact order, so the Prosecco, then the the Aperol, and then the sparkling water. You're gonna use your little straw to stir the cocktail, ice, a half of a wheel of an orange, and you're gonna have your perfect Aperol spritz. I still somehow managed to fuck this all up, because I did three parts Aperol, three parts bubbly. Okay, but... And I didn't stir. Perfect. No, but like, okay, the stir, like, you have to stir it. But <laughs> what's behind the Aperol? So the spritz uh, is is coming from a German word that is spritzen. That is basically what the, uh, o, um, the German and Austrian soldier... Uh, did in the northern part of Italy when the Veneto was part of the uh, Austrian uh, kingdom. So the wine was too strong for them. And so they asked all the time to add a spritz. So a little bit of water, uh, a little bit of carbonated water in the original wine in Veneto. So the final Uh, product was just a sparkling red or a sparkling white wine uh, with the yeah that was like their wine spritzer exactly 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 so the ancient recipe brandy calls for equal part wine and apple 
Yeah, yeah. Oh. But but you have to add soda too. So not yeah, just not just one and Aperol. If you want to go equal part, apparently it's acceptable. But you need to add soda water as the as the as the last ingredient. And Got what it. if you poured the Aperol before the prosecco? Uh, I. Honestly, think that is the same thing because you're gonna stir it. No, anyway. I think she has to sit in the corner for a while. But I don't. I, I don't know. I I, I follow the Thanks, traditional. Brandy. I follow the traditional recipes. Probably it's just about the carbonation in the prosecco. If you if you pour the prosecco first, you're gonna have the bubbles and the foam of the prosecco. But if you start uh, pouring the aperol you're gonna reduce the amount of foam that you will have in the oh, glass. So it's yeah. just probably quicker if you are like in a rush and you wanna get fucked up immediately with Aperol spritzes. The way we definitely <laughs> so, do, always. Yeah. Welcome, Dwayne. This is exactly what we want. <laughs> it's the best way to drink wine. <laughs> yeah. So guys, thank you again, Dwayne, and enjoy your Aperol spritz, guys. Yes, Thank we'll you. Cheers. Thank you. Alla vostra salute. Gracias, Ricardo. Ciao. 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 Bye. Salud. Cheers. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're so good. Well, 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 as you have heard, we have an additional voice within our uh, little uh, group here, chicas. Yeah. yeah. Today is such a special happy hour. We have one of my dearest and bestest friends, Dwayne Goza. Hi, Dwayne. Hey, ladies. Dwayne is, to put it lightly, a phenomenal and awe-inspiring dancer, not to mention an incredible human being. He currently is in Oakland, California, and is joining us all the way from the West Coast, performing with an all-male dance troupe. He's traveled the world as a soloist with the infamous Trocadero Ballet, an all-male ballet Woo-hoo. company where yes. the men play every role throughout the most notable ballets. He's wow. performed the truck's signature piece, Dying Swan to Standing Ovations. Prior to that, he's danced with Jennifer Muller of the Works, which is where we met almost 13 years ago. Oh, wow. wow. That's so sweet. <laughs> We've been through it all, Dwayne. Uh sharing blood, sweat, and tears from our first joy season together to our Beijing tour with JMTW to my mm-hmm. wedding with Andrew mm, and to both yes. of my ACL tears. Oh. I am honored and ecstatic to have you here with us. You've made quite a career for yourself and have lived out many dreams that many would only wish to have accomplished. Thank you for sharing a bit of your story with us and your magic now. Since you've been reading along with us and been a supporter of our fo- and have been a supporter of our podcast from its inception, keeping it consistent with our conversations, we would love to hear what struck you, Dwayne, while mm-hmm. reading real life and what moments personally were of um, you personally related to. Yeah. Yes. Welcome, Dwayne. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. And thank you for such sweet things to say about me, Mariana. Yeah. Um, I mean, real life was a real journey for me. Um, I think I have never really connected so much to a character in my life so much as I have with yeah. Wallace. You know, being a gay black man and living in the Midwest for many years, you know, I really felt kind of a a kindred spirit with, with Wallace there, you know, knowing all of these, these struggles of being, of feeling really lonely and not really fitting in anywhere and not knowing really how to navigate yourself in these spaces of gay hierarchy that exists you know in the midwest especially and not really knowing how to behave and how to act around other people because everyone's circumstance is so much different from your own and it just almost seems like you don't quite fit in anywhere and it becomes really hard to express yourself so i really connected with wallace deeply in so many ways 
when you say that you don't quite that you don't really know how to how to act is it because you're not sure how people will react to you yeah it's definitely that you know especially in the midwest there's or at least um what i can speak from uh, my experience in living in ohio there is an expectation that's placed on gender you know and men especially to be you know, you need to like football and you need to like Ohio yeah. State, you know, and you drink oh, yeah. beer <laughs> and you do all of yeah. these things. And this is what's expected of being a guy. And if you're not really into those things, you just kind of don't fit in anywhere. And it's kind of hard to really express yourself, you know, like for me growing up, you know, I really loved, you know, music and dancing and laughing mm. and being silly and all of these things but like these weren't really things that were things that guys did you know so you not yeah. don't really know how to behave um in a way so it just almost seems like you know there's this joke where we say like um the biggest acting job i've had in my life was you know being in junior high school you know like trying to pretend oh, that i was straight yeah. for so long you know mm. it seems there's no there's well, for me, when I was growing up there, there's no community that existed for you to be able to express yourself. And I could really connect with Wallace and being in this place that's predominantly white. You know, I grew up in Pickerington, Ohio, when like when I was living there at the time, you know, I when I first moved there, I think there was four other black kids at my school, you know. Wow. So it was very different. And I didn't really relate to anybody that was there and on top of being black, being gay and not really understanding that at the same time, you know, mm. it was just really challenging. But so my experience is a little different from Wallace because he was, you know, in grad school living in this time, but I could definitely see his struggles. It always felt to me reading this book that the location, you know, it's never specified what Midwestern town they're in, but it always felt to me like the location was like another central character in the book. You know, Brendan, Brandon Taylor didn't place him in New York. That would have been like a completely different experience for Wallace. So I'm always really curious how where someone is raised can play such a huge factor on um, how you move about in the world and what you are raised to think about how you're supposed to act or be or like what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, and so you, you grew up in Ohio? Right, yeah. I grew up in Ohio and like it was, you know, there and especially at this time, you know, before before the internet, you know, there was no like gay community there. So... Yeah. Or at least I didn't experience it or really understand it or and know how to navigate right. these feelings that I had. Yeah. And I remember I started doing other other things that, you know, weren't really conventional for boys at the time. You know, I got into marching band and from marching band, I started doing color guard, um, which wow. is if you're not familiar, it's people who the people on the field who twirl flags and like spin rifles and sabers and things. Yeah, so from that, I, like, got into dance and, like, got in and seeing these, like, groups of homeless guys, you know, that were gay and seeing how they behaved. And I remember when I was younger and I came to New York to do a, a program at Alien, I remember going to audition and being there and seeing these guys like around the corner you know i was sitting alone because i didn't know anybody and these guys were sitting there and they had, had all obviously been there before and knew each other and they were friends and they were just so free and gay and open in their expression and just having such a good time and like not really caring what other people thought you know they just they had this freedom the sense of freedom to them and i remember thinking at that time like wow like this has to be so awesome to feel, you know, just mm -hmm. to be able to express yourself in any way. And, you know, like back when I was living in Ohio, that didn't exist, you know, you know, gay people were seen as one very singular idea of gay. And it was this really flamboyant and kind of messy, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. this character of a gay person that right. for me, I didn't connect to. So at the time, yeah. you know, I was like, maybe I'm not gay, you know, because I'm not this 
And so that became like really hard for me to deal with at the time. But, you know, I knew that once I, I remember being there in New York and seeing this, I knew that I had to get out of Ohio and find this, this other place where, you know, I could be free to express myself. So was that the turning point for you once you experienced this summer program that you were like, I have to get out of Ohio? Or was that something that was always innate in you that you knew that you needed to get out to really experience or own who you wanted to be? You know, I think that might have been the turning point. You know, I never really pinpointed actually that moment of Hmm. when I, I knew I needed to get away. You know, I knew after high school that I needed to get out of the suburbs and this, you know, small town. And so I moved to Akron thinking that it would be better. And there really just wasn't a gay community. You know, it was, you know, that's where I did find my first gay friends. And it just was very small and very homogenous. And I didn't really Mm. connect to so much of it there. Um, So yeah, I do like once I got to New York and I did the summer program and I remember like seeing all the colors of the rainbow, you know, and like <laughs> really feeling that I could, I could do whatever I wanted to do and express myself however I mm-hmm. wanted. And it was fine, you know, didn't have to explain it. It was great. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess that, that was a turning point for me was getting to New York mm-hmm. and seeing, and seeing that. What else was out there? Yeah. You know, that there's a whole world of possibilities. I don't know that this question is necessarily appropriate to the book that we just read because this is a little off topic, but it reminded me when you just said the rainbow of colors. I um, I found myself last year really kind of wanting to dig deeper into this gay culture in terms of the stereotypes that, um, as you were just saying earlier, like this caricature, I should say it's more appropriate than, than stereotypes, but this character caricature (laughs) that, um, has kind of found itself in the gay world. And, and I really was turned on to this actually last summer in pride when they were having the reclaim pride March. I don't know. were, Were you here for that? No, this was world pride, huh? Oh, it was. It was World Pride. No, um, I missed it. Because, you know, in New York, every other Pride, it's all, like, rainbow and sparkles mm-hmm. and, like, mm-hmm. fun, fancy, which is, like, what everyone comes to love about the yeah. Pride that we have here. And last summer, for the first time in the World Pride, as you said, there was a Reclaim Pride March. And so you were supposed to wear um, – the organizers decided that there would be no rainbow, but it would be like pink or white or black so that it wasn't. And I thought that was just really fascinating. It was like trying to, trying to take out the caricature. Am I saying that Mm. word right? Sounds Yeah, caricature. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Of what, what gay culture has, I say in air quotes, become. That's interesting. Bring it back to like, it's not about, rainbows and glitter you know this still comes from somewhere Mm. deeply rooted in very complicated situations you know like the people that have come before right i shouldn't say us but the people that have come before to fight to to fight for the freedom and the rights of people now that are openly gay and i know Mm. that was the first time i had ever really even like considered that yeah yeah i had struck me when you just said what you said about the caricatures. I just want to say that word one more time. Caricature. It feels good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can I can definitely see that. It does kind of seem like it it gets a little gimmicky sometimes with yeah. with a lot, of, especially like younger, younger people. It just kind of becomes a trend kind of thing. But I mean, thank I'm thankful, you know, for it to be a little bit more mainstream now, that it's a little more normal for people to mm-hmm. see. You know, you see more gay people represented in mainstream and television, um, in movies. It's become a thing now. Whereas where, like, when when we were growing up, you know, there weren't many gay kids um, in school. Yeah. Or even, like... entertainment as well. Yeah, you didn't see see that. And if you did, you know, it was 
like some special show that came on at like a certain hour where no one, you know, uh-huh. you weren't allowed to watch the it. Dr. Ruth special. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I remember that. Man, I loved her. <laughs> Spicy. Well, I'm so glad that we're talking, that we're veering into this conversation about representation because I actually had a question for all of you about about that. It seems like a huge piece of what Wallace struggles with is that he isn't around anybody else like him. He seems really isolated and alone, which is something you've touched on too, Dwayne. As someone from an underrepresented community myself, it meant the world to me. I was a teenager when I first discovered Sandra Cisneros and her poetry and her writing. And I remember just feeling like there was an instant kinship between the two of us. I just felt like she understood me Mm -hmm. and that was the first time that i i had ever seen that in any kind of art that i had been exposed to Mm -hmm. um so i wondered for each of you was there a piece of art or a writer or a performer or a play or something that you've had this connection with in your life somebody who Somebody or something that made you feel seen, that made you feel heard, that made you feel like you weren't so alone? Yeah. It's a beautiful question. I remember when I first read Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. And, you know, the whole story is about this gay couple, you know, living in Paris. And I remember reading it and you know, this was probably one of the fastest I've ever read a book, you know, like being so enthralled and excited about this relationship and the struggles and like, and it wasn't, it wasn't that like, oh, you know, like they were gay and they were happy. And, you know, like there was a lot of struggle and stress and shame Mm -hmm. and turmoil that they, you know, these, these characters were going through. And I remember thinking like, oh, okay, like this is, this is not just me. Like this is, this is this has been hard for people you know and it's not always easy and it's and i felt really really seen and connected to this this story so well and you know so much of james baldwin's work and actually like james baldwin himself being you know a gay black man who you know and i've had these feelings like he left the u.s and moved to paris you know because he didn't he didn't like the way it was being a black man here in the u.s and I like can, you know, empathize with that so much, you know, with that feeling of like wanting to get out and not belonging. Um, Yeah, James Baldwin, I really connect with him and his work so much. And it's interestingly a sentiment that Wallace also has this need to like get out, get away, find Mm -hmm. something new, find something different, find people who are more like him. Mm -hmm. He just feels like he's not living his real life. Yeah in this situation. Yeah. I mean, and that like, well, whole, whole other thing, but there's this, this feeling of like chasing something, right. You know, where yeah, you're always trying to find something better. Like the grass is always greener. Something better. Yeah. Um, that, that he goes through in this book. It's yeah. Or maybe just somewhere where you'll belong a little bit. Yeah. More, more like there must be a place where you get to feel like you belong mm-hmm. is there that's what i was going to say what i find so interesting about your story Dwayne, and like the journey that you're having is because you've traveled to so many places that people would only dream about traveling to so you've experienced a lot of different cultures Mm-hmm. But is the grass always greener somewhere else or is everywhere the same or is it because of the way you feel or the way that these preconceived notions of how others perceive you like block you from actually like experiencing life to the fullest because there's still this block like you're still put in a box like do you feel mm-hmm. and I'll answer your question next Brandy but do you feel that that happens everywhere like it's just something that because you traveled so much that you haven't necessarily found your place or is it because you're still waiting on, I don't know. Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, totally. I don't know. I wonder, I wonder this question because I often feel like unsettled and like I need to escape and get somewhere else where I will be more accepted. And in this book kind of, you know, in the way that it ends, how in the last chapter it, 
-hmm. like rewinds and it talks about his ambitions and hopes for like moving to the Midwest and moving out of the South and how this is where he's going to find people to connect with him. And for me, it made me really come back and think like, you know, I remember thinking like, I'm going to get out of Pickerington and I'm going to move to this place and it's going to be great. And then I got to Mm. out of Pickerington and then I was like, I'm moving out of this place and I'm going to get here and it's going to be great. You know, like I kept, and it made me think like, am I, will I ever be settled? You know, like, will I ever find someplace better or is it something inside that I have to find, you know, and find this, this comfort and place within me? until everything else can change around me. But I mean, there's so many external factors that Wallace is dealing yeah. with. And I mean, like absolutely, black and gay people are dealing with, you know, there's a lot of external factors that need to change for people right. to really be able to be comfortable and express themselves freely. I don't know, right now, like being here in California, I'm like, man, I could really see myself here, you know, like I'm really into it here. I don't know, am I going to get to California and think the same thing, you know? Am I going to get here and want to go somewhere else? So I think that's a big struggle with someone like Wallace has, you know, of never really feeling... Like you fit in somewhere. Um, I mean, it's. Yeah, nowhere feels like home. Yeah. Like, where's this group of people that, you know, feel the same things that I, you know, and are in- interested in the same things that I am, you know? Where or is if this they community? They really understand you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where well, is that? Too, but his home also wasn't a very comfortable place. I mean, you know, he's from Alabama. Like, I mm-hmm. have a hard time imagining that things were really better there. And we know from his home life that it wasn't a cozy situation. So I think yeah. it's even harder because it's not like where is like home, but like where can I make home? Right. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he was running away from a lot of trauma yes. in this, in this story. But so. I feel like he's in a, he's in a situation where the trauma just keeps building on top of itself. Like you know what I mean? I feel like he's got so much trauma from his childhood from a variety of factors. And then it feels like he comes to this program where everything, like you said, is supposed to be better. And he's supposed to be with this group of people and, you know, doing this stuff. But he still has these little microaggressions, like pretty traumatic things that are visited upon him. That whole moment with Dana, like oh, everything that happens with Simone, yeah. like with Katie. pretty traumatic stuff yeah with katie like just crazy there's stuff with roman at the dinner table yeah. like it just seems like the trauma keeps stacking on top of of course yeah. the stuff underneath mm-hmm. and he's never fully he never fully expresses how he really feels like yes he might touch upon things with certain people but things never come to the surface so all of those things he keeps on br- burying them down and deeper and deeper right. it's like where where does it end like where does it end right. when you finally just release all of this angst that you've been holding right. onto for so long yeah well i think we do see a little bit of that with miller but that's like a whole nother conversation mm-hmm. i want to get into later. <laughs> <laughs> a whole other pandora's box to open yeah well, going back to your question, Brandy, um, I, I've had a very difficult time being seen as a Latina in the TV and film industry and mm. and even in NYC and New York in general. I just feel like there's these preconceived notions of what a Latina or a stereotype of what a Latina should look yeah. like, especially on the East Coast or the Northeast, where I don't fit in that mold. Yeah. And it's and it's unfortunate knowing that we're almost 2021 or skipping 2020, <laughs> almost 2021. Yeah, we're just and, done with it. Yeah. And it's still and it's still a thing where I normally get called in for just like Anglo-American, Eastern European, Italian, Jewish, but it's a rarity for a Latina. And I and I want to be telling the stories that are authentic to me and where I where my culture lives. So those opportunities have always been very limited, but 
I remember when Sofia Vergara from Modern Family, the Colombian actress, oh, yeah. first mm-hmm. showed up on my small screen. And I was just like, well, there you go. Because Sofia Vergara was very famous in Colombia. My grandmother always would be like, well, Sofia Vergara, oh. you know, she's a model and she's an actress. And she's ah. all this. I'm like, yeah, abuelita, I get it. And finally, when she showed up in the, on the American small screen, I was like, people now, yeah, acknowledge and accept that she's... Latina because she's fair skinned like I am. She's not what you would typically stereotypically call a uh, a Latina because here there it's like right. the mulata is a little bit more of the 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 ideal Latina or what Middle America would consider to be Latina. So for me, it was very cool to see someone like her actually own herself, showcase herself in that light. And she was one that looked exactly like one of my mom's uh, sisters, like one of my aunts. She spoke like them. She she was full on a Colombian Latina. So it was very cool to see that in someone that I was like, OK, finally, I, I feel like I'm I'm very much being seen. I'm going to answer your question a little more abstractly, Brandy, because okay. I don't think that I actually have like a good, clear example of someone or something that made me go, oh, I feel seen. You know, I don't feel like I've been misrepresented or underrepresented. Yeah. So I'm going to answer your question by breaking it up into three topics. I'll give you a TV show and a musical and a song. <laughs> okay, please so do. The TV show that really really got me recently was Pen15. Oh yes. The series. Oh my god, <laughs> these so two good. girls. They just nail what it was like to be a 13-year-old girl and every episode that I watched that I watched, I was like oh my God, it wasn't just me. So like, this is a universal thing. Like it made me feel a little less, I don't know, awkward about what I went through and was like, oh, cool. So this is how it's, how it goes actually for everyone. Um, the musical that I felt this way about was 100 Days by the Bengsons. Are you familiar with that? No. No. Look it up. It's called 100 Days. It was written by Abigail and Sean Bex- Bengson, who are this amazing married uh, musical duo. And it's the story of how the two of them fell in love and then how oh. that love revealed their terror of mortality. Mm. Whew, it is gripping. Wow. Check it out. Deep. And uh. the song What's Up by Four Non Blondes. For no really <laughs> rhyme or reason, it just kind of like gets in my blood. Like every time I hear it, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it just I don't, it's like does something to me that I can't really explain. Gets so it I going. feel like <laughs> I feel like that answers your question, even if it's not what you meant. It does. It gives me a lot of homework. I feel like I've got to go look yeah. up all these things. Yeah, now. there you go. <laughs> Maybe I'll know Emma better after right. I we'll after get into the head with this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Well, one thing I have to add um, is that for me, I feel like also I feel like we're talking about ethnic, you know, underrepresentation right now. But I think also as a woman, just seeing Kamala Harris take that stage and deliver that just beautiful speech. Mm. What was it a couple of weeks ago now? I was sitting on the couch watching it and completely unexpectedly just started bawling my eyes out yeah. to see her have arrived on this stage and to realize that I was getting emotional because we've never seen that before right. here. Yeah. Which is crazy and that I, we haven't. Yeah, it's long overdue. Yeah, it's so long overdue. And I also was just shocked because I hadn't expected to get emotional and I don't think I had realized how much it hurt to not have seen that before to not have seen a woman in power at that level before I don't think I had realized how psychologically stunting that probably is even if it's subconsciously I felt the same I don't think that I realized that either until I saw Hillary Clinton lose and that was a huge turning point for me like oh yeah which is why this win felt so I mean, Agreed. it would have been powerful and amazing on its own, 
But had it not come from that devastating That's loss, true. because yeah. it came after that, yeah, it was all the more I mean, just weeping. Yeah. As I wear yeah. my Biden hair sweat. Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's an added plus that it's not only the the first woman, but also a woman of color. And that she comes from yeah. different cultures. Like that's just it's an added bonus that's like mm-hmm. the that's what little girls that are now yeah, you know, growing up that that are impressionable will see her yeah. and be like, Yeah, this this is what I get to it's look for. It's a possibility. To. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The world is their oyster. Changing tunes. Okay. Right. This is not coming out of She what likes we just to change discussed. tunes a lot. This is this is the norm. I do. <laughs> likes to change the tunes. I feel like the change you know, station. You got a you got a map and you can veer from it sometimes. That's okay. Yeah. Let's do it. And while we have Dwayne here, I want to like want to talk to you. Yeah, let's yeah, take yeah, the yeah. scenic route. Yeah. <laughs> He's along for the ride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I like that. So, one of the main discussion points that we brought up in a previous episode was the difficulties that Cole was having with finding his boyfriend Vincent on a dating app mm-hmm. and what that meant for opening up their relationship and all that. But more so, we found the difficulties that Wallace has experienced with online dating, finding that he tires of the process because it isn't easy for him to connect with anyone on those types of apps. We also asked ourselves, this is, I guess this is a two-part question. We also asked ourselves what being a, quotations, normal gay, as Cole described themselves as, meant, and what the difference between being gay and queer was, as Cole seemed offended by the term queer. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is then why Cole says, well, we're normal gay. So, Dwayne, my query for you, if -hmm. you're comfortable talking about it, is, I guess, also a two-part question. Do you connect with Wallace's experience in any way? Or how has navigating the online dating world worked or maybe not worked for you, if you have any experience with that? And do you have an opinion as to what this normal gay that Cole describes is and can you help clear up for us what this gay versus queer means in your opinion yeah well I mean I can only speak from my experience in the matter and I, I don't mean to sure. to speak for the entire gay delegation but <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I definitely I think well to answer the second part of your question I think the normal gay, in quotes, is, you know, just two men, you know, that are attracted to each other, you know, sexually. Mm. And then the queer is kind of a little more ambiguous and it's not really tied to gender and that it's a little more open. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, you know, it's queer by by the nature of the word, you know, it's uh, not really ordinary or or normal normal in quotes you know right but um so i think and this kind of comes also along the same lines with the issues that i have with you know gay dating apps and things like that you know like when i first started dating it was really hard or first attempted to date it was really hard you know to meet other gay people like i said growing up in ohio there wasn't many people that were out or, you know, accessible to, to meet or talk to. And I remember first talking to gay people online and, you know, kind of these dating apps. It was before, you know, smartphones, there were these websites yeah. that you could use to, <laughs> to meet people, you know, Way and you would back chat. In the and day. <laughs> back before, you know, like chat rooms on AOL. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. But this is where you could, Yahoo like, Messenger, you know, it, yeah. it was kind of an underground place to to meet people. Uh-huh. And it became easier for gay people to congregate on these spaces. And so when Grindr, which I think was like the first, you know, location-based dating app that came about, it was great. You know, it was great. It became, you know, this way to really meet 
anybody, you know, who was kind of in the general area where you lived. And it was really fun at first, you know, you could just, you could make friends easily and just really get to know other people. And then I think as gay has become more with the internet becoming more available to everyone and these communities being open, I think it's become taken over in a way by this idea even of white supremacy in a way um, within mm. this marginalized group that there are hmm. these people who they're, they've developed this kind of idea of like gay, I would say like currency, you know, where mm. there are certain traits that are more valuable um, sexually mm. in huh. terms of like attractiveness, like f being white, being fit and being, masculine being tall mm. you know like all of these things that White have been is one of those currencies yeah i'm telling you wow. you know even God. in a marginalized community you you yeah. you wouldn't think that these things would happen but it's there it's right. definitely there and sorry were you gonna say marion no, 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 because I was going to say that Wallace, like, that was a big thing for him. Like, when he was talking about these gay sites, that he was talking about how he didn't fit into the mold because usually white people were, white men were more attractive. Those who were fit were more attractive. That's why he had, like, this body dysmorphia. Like, just yeah. th those who were built to what that mold needed to be to be attractive on the site. For them to be swiped. Mm -hmm. Is it right? Swipe right. Swipe right, yeah. <laughs> you want to be swipe right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I never Sexual... did one of these sites. I got married very young. You're, <laughs> you're so lucky, yeah, to not have to know these stresses. <laughs> it's a blessing. Um, yeah, it's so true. It's like ra Sexual racism is a thing, you know, wow. where if you aren't fitting what someone, you know, these things that have kind of been deemed as more desirable, you know, you're just kind of overlooked. And it's gotten to a point where this happens even in person, you know, like meeting people out and like in the gay community, you know, like we've put so much of our personal selves and lives in what we do on our phones and how we interact on our phones mm -hmm. that these kind of, these things have kind of filtered their way into, you know, real life with like wow. you know like just checking off these boxes like people you know giving more attention to you know someone who is white and fit and you know masculine you know these things of like not being into and not into blacks or gays or not into sorry femmes mm. or asians you know like this kind of mm. this idea that you see if you get on a gay site you will see in these profiles, people will say, I'm not into this. Don't even message me. Like, don't even talk to me. Like, they That's won't have any have anything to do with you. And you'll see it. Like, if you go to a gay bar in certain areas and even in New York City, you know, which is super progressive and open, you know, you can still experience yeah. these things going out. Like, someone will be less likely to talk to you if you don't fit these things. And if they do want to talk to you, they're usually looking for some kind of fetishized idea, you know, of like, for me, especially, I get this a lot with these things like, you know, expecting like a big black guy with the big dick, you know, and wanting to, to take them down, you know, like, and treating, you know, me like I'm an animal, you know, this idea where like, you know, I'm yeah. a person behind all of this, you know, and I'm not just here yeah. to... I don't know if I can say this, but dick you down. You know what I mean? Like this is, mm. this is not what this is. Mm. And I think a lot of this culture of online dating and like hookup culture and gay, the gay community especially has really like dehumanized a lot of mm. our relationships. And it's mm. not, I don't think it's, it's, it's a, a, a really good way forward for, I don't think it's really helping the community any. I don't think it's helping us mm -hmm. really grow and come together and find our strength. You know, it's further dividing us yeah. and, you know, I'm, I don't do it. I don't fuck with these apps anymore. I can't, you know, it's too stressful. I'd rather meet someone in real life, you know, genuinely than yeah. look at whatever someone has 
decided that they're going to make as their, you know, internet presence. That they're going to present. Exactly. Yeah. So it's fine because I don't need anybody to have a false impression of what I am. Yeah. Yeah. This other couple, what's their name? Roman and his... The two the two men who are in an open relationship. Yeah, you know, this couple, I think they definitely are like prime examples of this culture in the gay community, you know, where they live on these apps and they love their open relationship uh, and they're really pushing it on everyone else that their situation is yeah. the thing that needs to be, you know, that this they're doing it right. And, you know, they're living in right. the future. They're progressive. They're open. It's this idea. And it's just like, bleh, bleh, so annoying to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's like, it's the same parallel of like the grass is always greener on the other side. You're not fully satisfied with what you have. So you keep something close by just in case, but then you mm-hmm. always have, you always have the wandering eye to see what else is out there that could kind of fulfill your needs at the time. So you're never satisfied. You're never satisfied, huh? I think it's really interesting what you just said about uh, Roman and his boyfriend and sort of this idea that they sort of try to push their open relationship agenda on other people. Because I can only imagine, you know, heterosexuality has been pushed on people since the beginning of time. People who often, you know, who don't subscribe to that sort of model that's been laid out Mm -hmm. as normal so i can only imagine where if you don't feel that way if you're not a part of that system you're doing something else i can sort of sympathize or empathize with them (laughs) wanting to put what they're doing out there put that on display put this out there as a a normal thing or you know what i mean something that can be normal something that is accessible to people something that can be okay does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah. Is it because they don't want to be alone? Because the fear of a lot of these characters in this novel in general is that they don't want to feel alone. So if they have other people that are following through with what they're doing, then they're not alone. Huh. I know. In Roman's case, it just feels kind of selfish. I know what you're For saying. Sure. Though. For sure. Yeah. I think Roman just wants to get with Vincent. Get with Vincent. Or yeah. just like stir some <laughs> shit. He's got a lot of gay currency, you know? He is attractive, you know, he can do all of these things. So he knows that he'll get a lot of attention and he wants Mm. to take, uh, you know, reap all of the rewards that he is owed by his, his attractive, attractiveness. He's taking advantage. Yeah. He's taking, taking advantage of what he's got, Mm -hmm. I guess. I want to know your thoughts, Dwayne. I want your inner workings. Mm Mm-hmm what you thought about Miller and Wallace's relationship. Cause we talked, yes. we actually didn't really get as deep as we could have in yeah. previous episodes about this, but yeah. I'm curious, like what you took away from their relationship. Like, I don't want to say if you thought it was healthy versus not healthy. I don't think that's the right uh, adjective that I want to place on it, but I don't know. We t- we talked a little bit. You know, Brandy was saying how uncomfortable she felt by it. I never felt that. I want to know how you reacted to this thing they found. You know, I mean, what what I took from it is that these are two individuals that are dealing with some trauma in yeah. their lives and having to deal with emotions that they're not really sure what to do with. And I've been in that place, you know, where you, you've had these things that have just kind of been bottled up in you and you don't, and you finally like have some way of expressing it. And then like it builds up to a point where you don't really know how to control it. These feelings that are inside of you. And I think, you know, I think that they were, I think they really care for each other. I think they do have that, that, you know, intimacy and sense of giving and wanting the other person to, to, to be well, you know, you know, I think they, I think they had a good relationship. 
I think they really talked and tried to communicate once they finally got to the point of it. They did, yeah. I thought they communicated pretty okay, actually. But I wasn't startled so much by the the you know the brawl, I guess, that they had. You know, I wasn't either. Neither I think it, it seemed so pretty natural. Interesting. It just felt so. I did. I do remember asking when we recorded that episode whether anybody else felt like it felt like foreplay and a fight at the same time. Like it seemed Mm -hmm. all jumbled up for them, but it just felt so dangerous. And even from Wallace's perspective, he seems to feel it's very dangerous, but then they do like just move on and like have fish and like, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, like you said, they got through it. They got those emotions out and it was okay. Right. They just, yeah, they had these these feelings that they didn't really, they haven't had a chance to express ever, you know, mm-hmm. like Miller yeah, not really having ever been with a man before. Like, this is all really sensitive True. for him. Right. Mm-hmm. True. Um, so, like, he's feeling very vulnerable right now. And Wallace, having dealt with his, you know, personal trauma of mm-hmm. all of his past physical relationships that it seems I don't know which seem kind of unclear it seems like he hasn't really had a good mm-hmm. physical relationship with right. anybody they all seem to be yeah pretty hurtful Forceful. yeah I mean we meet him when he's ha- when he's just having his first kiss mm-hmm. he has two first kisses in one right. night which is which is crazy yeah I don't know that I mean I don't know that it's fair to say but it seems sort of odd to think that you could have an intimate physical encounter with somebody else without kissing mm-hmm. yeah but i mean i'm telling you these gays this day these days <laughs> <laughs> i don't even think it's these days you know i think back to like angels in america you know and it's just raw and like we've been saying i think it's like that fucking and fighting is they're really closely connected and uh-huh. it's just are you familiar with Angels in America? No. You know, it's, oh. there's a, a Mormon male character who's married to a woman. Okay. But he's gay. And, and that shame and, you know, he's like fucking in the rambles in Central Park with men just Whoa. dangerously. But he just, it's like the only way that he knows how to express mm-hmm. what's inside, which is how yeah. I felt with Miller, really, you know. Anger is a stage of grief. And so to me, it felt like hmm. this is his way of grieving and who's safer to do that with than Wallace. I felt like they both just kind of needed to let that out in that same like uh, <laughs> expulsion of, of what's going on. Yeah. Because yeah. I think they both, they met at the right time where they both needed to release all that rage and that anger that they had inside from their each of their upbringings. They had both difficult mm-hmm. upbringings and Miller never had been with a man, but it's because maybe he just didn't know what his true feelings were. Wallace, on the other hand, had dealt with his mother being raped. Him, I think, being raped himself and then dealing... Yeah, yeah he was raped himself. And dealing with all this, like, physical violence that, like, trickled down from generations. It's like, how else do you encounter one another and getting through that to then being able to verbalize how you actually feel? I actually mm-hmm. found it in a place, like, I think for them, it was cathartic in a way, and it was just... Yeah, it was beautiful to see a relationship between two men and I don't condone violence, but it was between two men who really needed to fight it out to then get to the raw essence of where their emotions were coming from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where they got to, which it was for them to really be because I don't think human beings are necessarily unless you really connect with someone and you're really honest and vulnerable with someone like you don't really know how to be genuine with another human being because you're already dealing with the preconceived mm-hmm. notions you're dealing with what's on the surface you're dealing with what you already think of the other person and you may or may not be afraid of how they're going to react to you so you're just never really fully there to let all mm-hmm. your shit out <laughs> 
Mm, for lack of a better It's word. interesting that you guys say all this because I feel like I read this fight in a, the complete polar opposite way because it sounds like you guys are all saying like this was a way for them to express those pent up things that had been lurking inside them and maybe now together they can move forward. And for me, I kept feeling like, are they actually just regressing back into this old behavior which is ultimately going to keep them stuck in that past trauma. Because, you know, Wallace lets Miller, I'm not going to say lets him beat the crap out of him, but like they have this fight. And earlier on in that first person chapter, Wallace talks about letting that boy in the woods kick him and beat him up because he felt like it was absolving him of the shame of what they had just done together. Mm-hmm. And for Miller, he beat the shit out of that boy who he nearly killed. And now here he is visiting violence again on Wallace. Like it almost felt to me like they're continuing their old patterns, except now they get to do it together. I know what you're saying about that. Which to me didn't feel like a happy ending. I mean, I don't think this writer meant for it to be any kind of a happy ending either way. But like it felt like a really dark ending to me. Yeah. I don't know. They seem to be really open to communicating and talking about things. And they both seemed really remorseful after the fact that all of that happened. Yeah. You know, like they didn't want it. They were ashamed that it happened and they didn't want it to be that way. And they're acknowledging that it happened. Because I feel like Mm -hmm. when physical altercations happen, people start to like think, oh, no, that didn't happen. And they just move on. Like, they just never, like, they actually were acknowledging the fact that it happened. And I think we're also forgetting about the fact that shortly after that, they go to the lake and Wallace admits to Miller that he's can't swim. And he mm-hmm. trusts Miller to mm-hmm. keep him afloat in the water. Mm-hmm. So after right. all of that that happened, right. there's this trust and intimacy and vulnerability that comes right and like you said i don't think he i don't think brandon and taylor is trying to um like tie anything up in a pretty little bow no but it did give me this sense of they were gonna they were gonna be okay in this Hmm. yeah i think so i think Maybe, I mean, I don't know, because otherwise it seems that if someone like Wallace, you know, with the the trouble that he's gone through, were to be with someone who doesn't understand, you know, like with all of his, his friends, in quotes, that he has there, you know, and they don't, they come from different lives that, than him and they don't quite understand. If he is right. to be with someone that is like that, you know, I think they would just butt heads, you know, and not quite understand yeah. the pain that the other person is going to. But Wallace really seems to understand and maybe not quite understand, but like he listens and he can feel what Miller, the pain that Miller is going through and the mm-hmm. the struggle that he has inside of him. I mean, he at least considers it, you know? And I think other, someone else who maybe hasn't gone through the same kind of pain might not allow for their relationship or themselves to grow and understand, you know, these struggles Mm -hmm. and emotions within themselves. I think it might just be a battle between that and one person might be traumatized from that situation and then it ends. But I feel like these two can learn from each other and help each other. Yeah. 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 Well, is there anything that we have not touched on? Do you have any questions for us, Dwayne? Like anything from previous episodes that you want to go back to or that you want to question us on, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, this book is pretty heavy and there's a lot of yeah hard stuff happening in here. And, you know, one thing for me that I connected with um, is that Wallace talks a lot about his, quote, disordered eating and mm-hmm. you know hit him you know gorging himself you know especially after that one you know disastrous dinner that happened and he says yeah. you know there seems to be a, a pit that he can only fill with food and these mm-hmm. things and 
you know, I think kind of unhealthy attachments to food is something that anybody yeah. who is a victim of this thing called life can deal with. Um, mm, so uh, <laughs> I wonder, um, is there any food that you find comfort in if you're feeling stressed or having, you know, any kind of troubles or issues? What's, you know, something that you find solace in? What kind of food is something that brings you escape from anything? Ooh. Brisket. <laughs> Brisket. <laughs> you can't say that. Vegan, Missy. I know. I'm a vegan. So, um. So, like, soy brisket? Tofu no. brisket. No, Triscuits. fuck that. No, 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 no. I want, like, <laughs> I love brisket. It's like my kryptonite. But since I'm not really eating it, okay. any kind of noodle soup, like a ramen or mm. pho. Totally. Ooh, pho. Yeah, pho. That sounds so cozy. I know. I pho. Pho it up. Sounds delicious. <laughs> fuck up some pho. You? For me, it's definitely my mom's red enchiladas, which I could just eat like, like I could eat it if I was on a desert island. It would be like the one thing I would take with me and I could eat that meal forever and Mm. never get tired of it. You're making me hungry. I want some. (laughs) She's like, yes. So it depends. Like, it depends how stressful, anxious, and overwhelmed I am. If I'm really overwhelmed, I'm like, fuck those fucking calories. I'm like, pizza, hamburger, fries, like, anything that, like, would be as decadent as possible. But when I'm Mm -hmm. just, like, I just want to cozy up to food and be pure happiness to food. Sushi, 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 sushi. You do yeah. love sushi. You love that. Sushi yeah. all the way. I feel that. Give me any roll. About that. I'll eat it. <laughs> or sashimi. <laughs> Dwayne. Dwayne. Um, mine is chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Love them. Oh, Fresh and warm. I could use that right now, too. Yeah. Oof. I mean. Chewy or well, crispy? Chewy, of course. Mm-mm, not a Excuse crunchy me. cookie. Do you add anything else into them? Like, are you into, like, walnuts or anything? Or, like, oatmeal Mm. chocolate chip cookies? Or is it just chocolate chip cookies? My favorite cookie that I'm making right now has walnuts and oatmeal in it. Ooh. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Give me everything in a cookie. Mm. And dark, like, you know, dark chocolate chips. Dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Speaking my love language. That sounds amazing. Well, I guess on love language, you just said, Emma, I don't know. I'm in the loving mood, even though 2020 <laughs> has been a year for all of us. 2020, yeah. What do you mean? And I would love to end <laughs> this episode with an extremely special guest, someone who holds a very special place in my heart. I would love... For all of us to say what we're thankful for, knowing that this episode will drop on Thanksgiving. We have to say something. We're thankful. We're grateful. I know we all are for something. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Well, as shitty as this year has been so far, one thing that uh, has been highlighted for me is the strong relationships I have made and the friendships that I've built over the past few years. And I cannot be more grateful and thankful to have all of my friends in my life right now um, who are there just because they love and care about me. And I think that is one of the most invaluable things that I have right now um, in my life is just the support system because these times are hard, girl. And it's just... <laughs> yes. It's nice to have a friend that you can call in and, Aww. you know, be there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's nice. Well, I'm grateful that at the beginning of this pandemic, I reached out to two of my lady friends and was like, out of the blue, let's do a podcast. And they both were like, Fuck yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's do a podcast. 
<laughs> and now we've got Dwayne here as our very first guest yeah. on the podcast. Damn. So I feel like you're going to be part of the history of our podcast mm-hmm. as our as our very first guest ever. Yeah. So I'm grateful for all of you. Oh, cool. <laughs> Miss Emma. Well, y'all are being so like sweet and like sweet. I was going to say I'm <laughs> grateful for this. Yeah. Biden-Harris. Biden-Harris. Grateful for Georgia and for Pennsylvania. Yes. Like, doing it. All the people that worked hard to get us here. Yeah, that helped make it happen. Yeah. Really. Get that monster out of there. And you guys are, like, okay, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee, thanks so much. (laughs) Well, because of this year, I'm grateful for our health. They were all healthy. We're still here. Mm. We're still... Moving and grooving. <laughs> like, there's, I mean, there's we a lot of people grooving. that have had a very tough time <laughs> <laughs> during this. Yeah. So I'm very healthy. Yeah. I'm very healthy. I'm very grateful for our health and for family and friends. I mean, those who support us and continue loving us and supporting us no matter what, it's always something to be grateful for. Amen. That was all so sweet. Mm-hmm. Amen. Cheers. Sante. Cheers, you guys. Salad. Oh, Salad. I finished my drink. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dwayne. Mm. Thank you, Dwayne. Thanks Seriously, for being here. Thank you so much, yes, Dwayne. Thank you, ladies, for You're having amazing. me. Amazing. Thank so you for giving it, a voice, a fourth yeah, voice to our it, <laughs> trio. It was so delightful. I feel like I'm not talking to my phone anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and to all of you out there, thank you so much for listening. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records for our music. Well, I again want to give a huge shout out to Mr. Dwayne Goza for joining us. You were absolutely fabulous, and it's such a treat to have you on board. And to you all out there, keep reviewing us come on we want those reviews we want to hear from you what want to hear from what you think and just join us on this journey next week we are starting our brand new book for the month of december us three ladies will be reading three women by lisa tadeo a non-fictional portrait of erotic longing in today's america for the first episode we'll be reading up to page 78 in the hard copy of the book. That's between chapters Maggie and Lena. Make sure you're following us at Artie's Books Drunk on Instagram to keep up with next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with this. Cause, 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 cause it's always, always happy hour. So <laughs> that is a Cheers. Mariana, you don't have anything in that glass. No matter how many times you keep trying, it is empty, girl. <laughs> I'm trying every time. For sure. <laughs>